Hello, and welcome to episode 127 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. First, a warm welcome to Amy M. and Amy N. to The Modern Manager community. I don't know if anyone who is listening knows, but my birth name is also Amy. Mamie is a nickname, but it is legally my name now. So I want to give a quick shout out to all the Amys in the world today. Now, if you are looking to take your managerial skills to the next level, check out the Modern Manager membership like Amy and Amy did. You get episode guides, guest bonuses, access to our private Slack community, and some levels even include access to group coaching with me and one-on-one private coaching with me. To learn more, go to themodernmanager.com join. Today's guest is Simon Reynolds. Simon is a leading expert on high performance in business and life with more than 50 awards for excellence and a 30-year career owning and running numerous successful companies. He now mentors entrepreneurs and CEOs from all over the world and has coached more than a thousand high achievers, including leading celebrities, centimillionaires, and billionaires. Simon and I walk through a number of the tips and tricks that he suggests in his book, Win Fast, Quick Ways to Achieve More, Earn More, and Be More. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Simon, it is such a pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much for waking up so early and sitting in your car halfway around the world to talk with me. <laughs> well, it's an absolute delight. I, you know, the podcast is fantastic. Fantastic, and I'm, I'm honored to, to be here. All right, well, let's just jump right in here because I was reading your book, Win Fast, and there were a lot of amazing suggestions and then a lot of ones that I was like, wow, not what I expected. Yeah, there's lots of weird stuff in there. You know, the, uh, rather than just do yet another kind of uh, performance book, uh, management leadership book, I thought, well, okay, how can we do some stuff that people haven't heard, some stuff that might challenge them. And, and maybe they'd even think it's, it's not true, but at least get them thinking about new ways of performing better. Yeah. And I feel like that's exactly what I took away from it was like just the chance to kind of see things that I was already doing that I could feel good about. And then some things I was like, Ooh, I really like those. I'm going to try those. And then some things where I was like, Hmm, I'm not so sure. So I want to make sure that we get a chance to dig into some of these recommendations and suggestions. Mm-hmm. And, and I also just want to give a shout out to the book because I love the way that you make it so actionable, which is a huge thing about how I coach and how I do my podcast. Right? I just, I really want people to walk away feeling like they know what to do next. So I love the format of the book like that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because there's so many books I find myself where I read them, I enjoy them, and then I don't do anything. And, and I wanted to reverse that and put the action steps at, at really is the most important part of the book. So let's talk about a couple of the different recommendations. So I think what I want to do is share a few that I really liked and then let you share some that you think are really special that I didn't share. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. That sounds wonderful. All right. So... First, one of my favorites was this in-between list. So can you tell us what this in-between list is, how to do it, and why it's so important? 
Yeah, sure. Well, look, there's a lot of kind of hardcore productivity techniques in, in the WinFast book, and this is one of them. So this is for people who are hardcore about being efficient. And really what it's about is, in addition to having your normal to-do list that, that most people have, you have uh, an in-between list. And what that is, it's a, a list of things that might only take you two, three, four minutes to do but you have not got around to doing them. And you put them all on one list. And whenever you're, for example, waiting for someone to start a meeting or sitting at your desk waiting for a phone call to come through, or you've just got a couple of minutes before something happens, you go to your in-between list and you get a couple of things done. And what's so beautiful about the technique is there's always two, three, four times during the day where that situation exists, when you've got a very small block of time. And people often don't do anything in it. But if you get good at doing the in-between list, you can really rocket through a lot of the stuff you've got to do. Yeah, and I think the thing that I loved about this was exactly what you're saying about if you're waiting for a meeting to start. But also, I find so many times in my day where I have 15 minutes between my meetings because one ran late and then I had to go do a bio break and then I go sit down at my desk and I'm like, oh, I only have like 15 minutes. If I start something, by the time I figure out what I need to start, it just takes too long. And so I end up just checking email or doing something like going for a little walk, which is good. But I love this idea of organizing my list, my to-do list into those things I can do in those short periods of time and knowing exactly where to go to find them. So I'm not just trying to navigate and then end up having not enough time to get anything done. So. I love this in-between list. I'm so excited to try it out. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it's good. And it makes you feel good because at the end of the day, you've often got, you know, six or seven things more done. And so your satisfaction level is very high as well. Totally. Love checking those things off the list. Okay, next one. <laughs> <laughs> next one is the circles of control. Tell us about this one. Yeah, well, look, this is such a simple technique, but it helps enormously and it helps particularly when we're under a lot of pressure. So what it is, is you get two pieces of paper or one large piece of paper and you draw two large circles. And in one circle, you write all the things that are happening in your work life or in your personal life that you can't control at the moment. You know, it could be what this person is doing when, when somebody's going to deliver that. It could be, you know, the current COVID environment. You write all that kind of stuff. And maybe it's getting you down. Maybe it's getting you worried. And you get it down and put it in the, the first circle, which is what, what you can't control. And then you have a second circle, which is what you can control. You can control how much you work, your attitude, how you are with particular people, let's say some giving you a difficulty, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you write all that down. And then you just concentrate on what you can control. And I, I'm a big believer in putting those pieces of paper on your desk or, or up on a wall where you can see it. And you train yourself to constantly revert back to things in your life that you can control. Because so many of us are worried about things, fret about things that are frankly out of our orbit of control. And all that does is increase stress. It's an ineffective approach. And if we just devoted more time to what we can control, then a lot of those problems would, would dissipate anyway. I completely, completely agree. And I feel like I'm experiencing this like in real time because of COVID, right? Everybody is making their own choices around health and safety. And it's really hard when you want to be around family or you want to get together with 
friends at a safe distance and you're trying to navigate like what are the right protocols and how can I convince this person to behave that way? And it's like there's just so much stress. And taking that step back and saying, okay, I can't control these other people. I can maybe influence them. I can share some information. But there are things that are just outside of my control and I have to accept that. And then there are the things I can't control. And refocusing on those was, for me at least, a huge stress reliever to be like, okay, I'm going to focus on these things and I'm going to make choices that are in alignment with what I can control and with my values and not worry if others are making choices that are not in alignment with my control and my values because that's okay. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's, it's very empowering to train yourself to think that way because you switch from being reactive and defensive and concerned to, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And you, you br- it brings you back to the present as a leader and as a manager and as a, just an, an, an achiever, which of course is the only zone where anything's really going to happen. Well, that's a good segue into another concept around urgency and moving fast, which was a tricky one for me, I'll be honest. So can you say more about this sense of urgency and need to get things done? Yeah. Well, I I was really affected by a a study by Harvard professor John Cotter, and he analyzed the most successful CEOs over a 10-year period. And it was a deep analysis. You know, it was done with his team of researchers and they looked at, you know, stock price rise, revenue rises, et cetera, over an extended period of time. And eventually they are using their, you know, variety of metrics. They discerned who were the top performing CEOs over a decade. And then they went and interviewed them and they studied them and they spoke to people who worked with them. And they tried to look for common traits of the, of the top people. And the, the number one common trait that came out of top CEOs was, according to Professor Carter, was a sense of urgency. In fact, he wrote a book about that very topic. And I found that fascinating too, but it kind of makes sense. You know, it's, there's so much red tape, there's so much bureaucracy, there's so much complexity in, in getting things done in your typical business that unless you have that attitude of, we've got to get this done now, we've got to push through this. I don't want it three, in three weeks, I want it in two weeks. You know, unless we push everybody around us, unless we push ourselves, unless we push our suppliers to have a sense of urgency to get things done quicker, then we live in a world where we're waiting a lot, things are a lot slower, and of course, our our progress is a lot less. So is there an antidote, and I think there is when you talked about the kind of release of the breath and the stress, which we can talk about in a second, but the sense of urgency I always find comes with this extra stress, that this jittery, you have to get this done. So do, do some people just not experience that or they just have good ways to manage their stress around it? <laughs> well, look, that's, that's a great distinction that you make. And, you know, I talk about, you know, having a, having a certain calm urgency, kind of Zen urgency. It's a bit like a top sports woman or man, you know, there, there is urgency in what they're doing, great urgency, but they're still, their muscles are relaxed. They're, they're kind of calm or a top military leader, you know, often the great generals that I've studied they're pretty cool, calm and collected, even though they're, they're driving forward all the time. So I do agree with you that you have to add that calmness part of it and try and balance it with calmness and a kind of warm detachment so that the urgency doesn't stress you. But 
as a driver, as an emotional point, as long as it's positive urgency and even excited urgency, then as long as you keep those elements, then I, then I think it's a good thing. That makes a lot of sense. And it probably also plays into the 80-20 rule, which I've talked about on the show before, right? That if your urgency is around the right things and you're letting go of the things that don't matter so much, then it feels more in balance. Oh, yeah. You know, 80-20 is one of those fascinating things where, you know, people have heard of it, but I believe that most people aren't treating the 80-20 rule nearly as seriously as they should. I mean, first of all, it's a bizarre and perverse rule much more prevalent in the in the whole world that most people think so for instance you know 20 percent of your carpets give you 80 percent of the wear 20 percent of your clothes you wear 80 percent of the time 20 percent of your friends give you 80 percent of the fun you know so why why do you hang around with the others the 80 20 rule is in every area of our life but of course in work and in our efficiency it it's a key point. And, you know, for those people who haven't heard of it, it's really the, the rule of consequences that 20% of what you do gives you 80% of your results. Now, I talk about extreme 80-20 in the Win Fast book. And really, that's about literally saying, okay, if I only did one thing today, what would it be that would really move the needle for my business or for, for this situation? Or instead of having a, you know, a list of 30 things to do, why don't I just say, okay, what are two things to do that, that would really make the difference? And it's quite hard to do because society rewards hard work and admires action. So people who uh, appear to get a lot of stuff done are much admired, but it is not necessarily the way to succeed. You know, you see those people two years later and they've got a million things done and, and yet the business may not have moved forward. The organization, the charity may not have particularly done much. And that took me a long time to understand. You know, I would think I had a good day if I got a lot of stuff done, but at the end of the week, sometimes I'd find that I hadn't actually moved much forward. So I was efficient, but I wasn't effective. And so when you're looking at your action list, You've always got to be just testing yourself and saying, well, does any of this stuff actually really matter? Maybe I should just rush half of it, not do the other half of it, and just focus on these one or two things on the list. Well, so that actually, these, I feel like they're all just piling up onto each other, which is why it makes so much sense to read the whole book, because I feel like people will get a real sense of how they can stack these different habits and practices because another one that you talk about is rushing your unimportant tasks and doing them even mediocre or average because they just, they don't matter as much. And I feel like for somebody who kind of strives to do things well, right, and like feels highly capable, it's hard to say like, okay, I'm just going to write that and let it be average. I'm just going to like cook this meal and let it be average. But that's important. Mm. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a trade-off and it's a hard trade-off for people who have a sense of pride in their work and have a sense of personal excellence. And I do have a technique for how people of that orientation can do this, which I'll say in a second. But the concept is this. You're never going to get everything you need done in today's world. The, the list is, is never complete or extremely rarely is it, is it ever complete. And so we're in an environment now where we're overloaded with tasks and we're only going to become more overloaded with tasks. And what I have found happens is 
a certain style of conscientious person for all the best reasons in the world tries to do everything well. The problem is that they end up not getting a whole lot of stuff done that they could have. Furthermore, I don't believe, and I know this is counterintuitive, I don't believe that excellence is rewarded most of the time. So for instance, you spend that little extra uh, time on the report, the client doesn't notice. You spend a bit more time doing the job to the very high standard and no one even thanks you for it. So, I mean, the cold hard truth is that doing things, most things, not all, but doing most things to an 80% level and just getting on with the next thing is actually more useful to the company, to your situation, to your goals than spending an enormous amount of time on only a few things. And Warren Buffett put it beautifully when he said, what's not worth doing is not worth doing well. And for you know the world's greatest investor and one of the most successful people in the world to take that view, I, I found very interesting. So why don't you tell us maybe like two of your favorites that we haven't talked about already? And then I want to turn this around to thinking about a team. Yeah, well, yeah, look, a counterintuitive one is to become a master of thank you notes. And I know very few people who do this well. But in, in a digital age, to actually take a few minutes to write a thank you note. So you, you buy a box of thank you cards and to always be sending out personal thank yous to people. You know, thanks for taking the time for seeing me today. I really appreciate it. Handwritten. And, and then believe it or not, you mail it, you snail mail it off to them. And I just think it is one of the most underestimated techniques for making an impact on someone. When was the last time you got a personal thank you note? And I know people who have, I don't know, five years later, seen me again and referred to the thank you note I wrote, wrote to them. It's so impactful. It makes such a difference. It's so enjoyed. And it's such a surprise to most people in today's digital world where at best you might get an email acknowledgement of, hey, you know, it was great meeting you. It's a beautiful and it's a powerful technique for, for getting ahead and getting people to, to appreciate you. It's so funny you said that one because people, if you're a longtime listener, know that I hate thank you notes. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to rethink my thank you note strategy and, uh, because of you. So thank you for that. Okay. What's another one that's maybe counterintuitive? You got me thinking. I'm, I might send you a thank you note to get me rethinking about it. Um, <laughs> Okay. Look, another one is to, this is extreme, but to read your goals three times a day. So I, I believe that the, one of the primary reasons people don't achieve their goals and so many people do not achieve their goals is they do not remain conscious in their minds each day. And so, you know, they, they come up with goals on New Year's and, and then, you know, whatever it is, two months later, they've forgotten them. Or they'll read their goals, you know, every quarter or so. And once again, they often don't have much velocity. They don't have any uh, power to them. Now, if you just take, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, three times a day in between things, just remind yourself what your goals are. You know, ideally, they're, they're probably just on a single piece of paper. That takes hardly any, any time to do, but it recalibrates the mind and it refocuses you on what's important 
Because if we're not careful, 10 years goes by and those goals remain a wish list where nothing gets done. And I found if you're super on your goals, if you're super cognizant of them throughout the day by, by reading them three times a day, it makes all the difference in the world in what you choose to do on your activity list. I want to reinforce that one because a couple months ago, I changed my wallpaper on my desktop computer to have my goals. So when I open up my computer, I see them and there are sometimes they're just like, it's, you know, wallpaper. And then there are, I'd say more times than not where I look at them and I read them and it is such a good centering activity. And you're, it only takes like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But it really makes me think like, oh, wait a second, I haven't done anything on that in a few days. I probably need to adjust my, my priorities this week to make sure I move some things forward. Specifically, I have three particular goals that I want to get done by the end of the year. And so it's, it is really powerful to have them right in front of me. I've definitely experienced a healthy shift in how I prioritize based on just having them front and center. So I totally reinforce that, yeah. that recommendation. Yeah, I like the idea of having them on your screen. I think that, that that's terrific. And it's confronting because you look up or you read them and you go, well, I, you know, it's 3 p.m. and I still haven't moved forward on what, what's actually important to me. But that confrontation is great because it wakes you up and get, gets you on track. All right. So let's talk about some of these in relationship to a team because there's a ton more. I feel like we could just keep going down more and more of the interesting mm -hmm. recommendations. But I do want to turn this back to a team Specifically, I want to talk about the idea of doing things 80% because I think that is something that is challenging for managers to convey and something that's hard for their team members to accept. And I, and I say that because I've had people say to me, like, how do I really convince my team that like, it doesn't have to be perfect? So do you have any tips or thoughts about that? Well, yeah, I look, a lot of it is, first of all, introducing the philosophy that in most cases, not all, 80% is good enough. So making that philosophy in your team apparent, number one, and constantly um, reinforced. I'm a huge believer in teams that there, there should be a certain set of criteria or rules or operational ways of thinking that are just endlessly said, endlessly referenced, and the team leader endlessly reminds people of. Not a lot of them. Might be only, say, you know, five or six of them. And one of them being 80% is often good enough, just get it done and move on to the next thing. And I'd say, so number one is to make them front and center and keep them front and center. Th then the second is to remind those people that it leads to a better job overall to just get on to the next task if these tasks aren't absolutely critically important to do brilliantly. That makes a lot of sense. And it always feels like anytime you set norms with your team and then you reinforce them, it's just, it's easier to, to move forward with. So one more, I want to check in on, on the team level, which is around that 80-20 rule and the 64-4 rule. Is that right? 68-4? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like a, an, an extension of 80-20. And, you know, I'm no mathematician. But experts on, on the 80-20 principle have said, well, what if you only do the 20% of the 20% of the most important tasks? So the general 80-20 rule is that, as we said, 20% of what you do gives you 80% of your results. But 
the people who are really into that rule said, well, actually, 20% of that stuff will give you even more of your results. And what they worked out was that 4% of what you do gives you 64% of your results, which is pretty extreme. So it's the most important of the most important. And why it's relevant is we complain we don't have enough time. And of course, we're all pressed for time. But at the end of the year, and this is confounding and amazing, at the end of the year, when you look back on what you did that mattered, it's often only two or three things, you know, in a year's work. And so the 4%, the 64-4 rule is an extraordinary, extraordinary concept to keep front and center in your mind. So are there things that managers can do to help their team members as individuals or as a team really collectively say, what are the most important things that we should be doing or that each individual should be doing within their job? Because, you know, we have jobs with a whole bunch of responsibilities and tasks on our list. And sometimes it's not so easy to work through and figure out which are the things that really matter and which are the things that are administrative or which are the things that I still have to do them because they're part of my job, but they, they aren't where I should be putting my focus and attention. Well, that is a, a terrific question. And I would advocate that every leader sits down with each team member individually and says, this is what is most important out of all the stuff you do. Because there's two parts to it. It's what the team member themselves thinks is important, but that may not be what their leader thinks is important. Or you as a leader, what you believe is important, perhaps you haven't fully communicated that to your team members. So I guess in an ideal organization, using this rule, each person would write down what's really important about my job. And they keep it on a card on their desk or a post-it note on their desk. And, and I'm, a, I'm a great believer in coded post-it notes so that if someone is, so that not everybody is able to read what your post-it note is. You might just put three letters down and that, that's the first, the letters of, of the three things that, that count, right? So you have your what really counts list out of all the stuff you do. You've got to handle the rest of the stuff, but that's what is going to really move the needle. But likewise, at a department level, you as a leader have spoken with your, your key people and you've let them know what counts or you've asked your boss what really counts because so often we're spending time on stuff that our boss doesn't really think is particularly that important in the scheme of things so when you have a whole organization that is clear on on the 80 20 or the 64 4 then things really start to hum all right that's a great place for us to end and people can learn a whole lot more and get a lot more detail in your book but before we get to that, can you tell us, Simon, about a rock star manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Yeah, well, actually what's interesting about that question is not that many come to mind. <laughs> but uh, I had fairly early in my career, I had a manager by the name of Bob Ishwin. And he was a very interesting manager in that he certainly kept high standards but he lets you do, he gave you a lot of freedom to do your work. But what I most remember Bob for 
was he was always picking up the energy of the place. He was always trying to uplift you. He was always being humorous. He was always trying to have a bit of fun or suggesting that we do things that might be a little fun because, you know, we were, it was a high pressure, uh, high pressure job. And it was such a great feeling each time you'd see him because he, he was, his energy was really supportive rather than constrictive. And, you know, 20 years later, I, I still remember him for that. Oh, sounds like a great guy. Yeah. All right. And where can people learn more about you and your work and your book? Well, I'm an executive and business coach. And so if people just go to simonreynolds.com, my website, and that's Simon with two eyes, they can find out all about that. And of course, WinFast is out imminently as, as a book, and that's 80 techniques to perform better. So anytime they want to check that out, I'm sure it'll help them. Great. Thank you so much. This was a super fun conversation. I hope people will go out and actually start to implement all of these amazing techniques, even the ones that seem a little weird. I hope people will give them a try. Yeah. Well, you know, weird is often best. You know, we can't just do what everybody else does in life. There are many more tips and tricks in Simon's book, so I suggest you check that out. And if you are a member of the Modern Manager community, you get 20% off coaching with Simon. To join, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And don't forget, if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be in your inbox if you subscribe to my newsletter, which is at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.